0: Well, welcome to St. Paul. I want to welcome those that are visiting with us. Uh, for the first time, we're glad that you're here. And those of you that are here every Sunday, thank you for uh, continuing to be a part of God's plan here uh, at this local church through our community. And for those that are live streaming, we're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for joining us uh, wherever you might be, as Pastor Pam said. Uh, we're glad that you're here, and we want you to tune in every week. Uh, if you have some uh, thoughts for us or if there's ways that we can answer prayers for you, There's a way that you can communicate with us through this worship service. Go ahead and take advantage of that or else also leave us a prayer request so that we can be of uh, value and need for you. Well, I wanna share with you a story about the Hubble telescope. Uh, Some of you, how many of you remember about what the Hubble telescope was? Uh, A project back in the 1990s uh, sent up on the space shuttle Discovery. And uh, the whole mission of the Hubble telescope was to to have a, a look of the heavens and to have a better perspective to, to try and prove or disprove a lot of the string theories and things that a lot of the, the physicists of the world and the astrologers have been, and astronomers have been looking at, I should say, have been looking at to try to figure out where does where the world about and, and uh, what's really out there and will it make a difference and, and are there some unanswered questions that maybe getting a closer look and perspective we might be able to see. Well, as that went up on the space shuttle discovery back in nineteen ninety, those were the hopes and dreams. Now this this mirror that they had was was a was a huge part of what would be the success of the Hubble telescope. It was ground down to a, a, a very particular finish. In fact, they said that the curve on the mirror did not deviate in one of 800 thousandths of an inch. So that if you're kind of into numbers, that, that's impressive and, and astronomical. Uh, and on the scale of the Earth, if the Earth was the lens, uh, the size of the lens, what they've said was that it would not deviate more than six inches if the, if the uh, mirror was the size of, of the planet Earth. So as it went up in space, it was launched out uh, 353 miles above the Earth's atmosphere, looking down, looking also into space, trying to focus on what was actually going out there to answer those questions. Scientists were anticipative, They were excited. They were ready. They had spent over a billion and a half dollars on this project. They flipped the switch, and it's like, guys, when your remote's not working on the big game day. You know, the service wasn't working. The lens or the the mirror was out of focus, and, and there was a flaw in it that something had happened, and they couldn't see anything, and all their hopes and dreams were shattered because the focus was out. So they worked for about three years to remedy the problem, and then later on, um, and b- about uh, several years later, the, the Spatial Endeavor went up and took some corrective means up there and actually got the Hubble telescope to be able to see. It wasn't about the size of the telescope, it wasn't about even the, the kind of limbs that it had, but it was the fact that it was merely out of focus, and by bringing it in focus, they had clearer vision and they were be able to see. Well, that's a little bit about where we are today, uh, not only as a nation, but as a world and here as a church community. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks in this series, Now What? And and the whole premise of this series has been, after going through a, a cantankerous presidential season and all the things involved in that with the politics, how are we as a nation, how are we as a, as a church, how are we as individuals gonna refocus, so to speak, and, and get back on track and to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. So that first week we, we talked about how really as a nation we're called to repent, we're, we're called to be in better relationships with each other. We build that on the second Chronicles 714 passage last week my message was focused on words for our new president but there were also words for us about that we're not in that Jesus was not about building walls but he's about building bridges and 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 how we really need to have the heart for those that are in need and to draw close to them and to to have an impact in those lives and to remember those that are often forgotten and today it's about focus and focus is the key pitch of, of Where we want to be as we take a look at some things we find out that as a church that that we should uh, oftentimes be Evaluating what's happening? What's going on and and what's making a difference and we should be asking ourselves Those really all-important, but yet difficult questions as we're looking at things that we should ask ourselves what's of the greatest importance And if what is of greatest importance, what's happening in our community, and how can we as a church be a part of of engaging with our community and resolving some of the challenges that are out there? So two of those powerful questions we should be asking is, how are we, the people of the church, beginning, beginning to change the relationship of the people who are outside of the church? Are we doing that? Are we being able to see the influential changes from God's church into our local community? And the second part is is probably even more important. How are we getting a skeptical society outside of the church to start trusting the message of the people of inside the church? There's been a lot of debates on that. In fact, one of the the most um, asked questions when we talk to people who aren't in churches today, why aren't you there? What do you think their response is? The response in an overwhelming majority is because the people in the church don't act the way that they say they're supposed to act or how we're supposed to act, that we're sometimes hypocritical with how we're acting and the choices that we make and the things that we say but the characteristics of a church that is striving to be externally focused, a church that's not really focused on themselves, but a church that's looking beyond the walls has some key components, and I wanna share those with you today as we talk about how we at St. Paul are in this process of refocusing. Uh, Outwardly focused churches, they're, they're inwardly strong, but they're outwardly focused. So so people are, are growing together in their faith, they're growing together through worship, they're growing together through their generosity, but they're outwardly focused in the things that they do. Um, externally focused churches and strong churches are, are mending their good works and their good deeds together. They see there's fruit from that, that, that not only are we called to become disciples of learning and, and drawing close to the qualities of Jesus, that we're, but that we're supposed to be living the life of Jesus in the world, and that how Jesus taught us to live is exactly how we're supposed to live. They find out that they value the impact of their influence in the community, that that impact is more influential than, than worrying about attendance and, and how things are going internally in the life of the church. Outwardly focused churches, they strive to be salt and light um, Spiciness into the community that's out there and leaven to help things to rise in a healthy way and to have some influence Externally focused churches also see themselves as the soul of the community I love that the soul of the community that it's not just that they're just thinking that they know what their neighbors thinking of Or that they're just thinking about what's going on out there, but they actually know who their neighbor is I mean think about it for a second the two Most innate or the two greatest innate needs that we all share as a people are what to love and to be loved And if you take a look at that if that's the innate needs that we share Then that's part of the soul of knowing who we are But also who our person who's next to us is if you live in a neighborhood whether it's a Apartment community or whether it's a a single-family home or or group home Whatever the case is ask yourself. How well do you know the people that are on your street? How well do you know the people that are around you, your neighbors and those things? And the odds are most likely that you may not have as very good a relationship with the people who live in and around you. You might know them as you walk down the street walking the dog. You might be able to recognize them as they're they're mowing their lawn or they're doing something outside as you drive by. But do you really know them? So to know the soul of the community has got to be a priority in the life of the church. We need to know who our neighbor is. And the last quality that we see that is at the heartbeat of an externally focused church is the community would miss them if for some reason they were no longer there. So these are the kinds of things that we see. How many of you remember show and tell in, in the third grade? Yeah. Who was your third grade teacher? Shout out the name. Do you remember? Okay, mine was Miss Tomlinson. I had a crush on her. She was single. She was pretty. I mean, what, what good-looking young boy wouldn't, right? And, uh, but, but anyway, so I was always mad at her, though, because when we had show-and-tell, she never called on me. I'm over it now, you can tell, but, but, um, but she never called on me. And, and I had this great dump truck that I wanted to do, but but you know how the process of show and tell works is we, we do more telling than we do showing. We hold something up, but, but we kind of tell everybody this is what it is and how it's supposed to work and why it's important. And that's one of the trappings of, that we see in churches today is we do an awful lot of telling people how they're supposed to think, telling people how they're supposed to live, telling people how they're supposed to worship, telling people how they're supposed to be church, but we don't do a good job in showing them. And that's some of the disconnect of what we see in the life of churches today So so we are called to be better showers than tellers of the faith that we confess So so rather or not we have to earn the right then to be heard Because it's not just that somebody should believe us because we represent the church But we have to earn the right to be heard There's a saying that's out there that says that people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. So it's whenever people care, know that you care, that you're investing in them, that you're coming alongside, that your heart really yearns to understand to be a part of building a community, that's when they start knowing you and you start knowing them. So showing through service is a huge part in the life mission of the church. So our success as a witness to the power of Jesus Christ depends upon our getting more involved in our community, getting to know our neighbor, and actually understanding the culture that is around us. And once we create those authentic relationships, once we get to know what's going on in folks' homes, once we get to know more about what's happening in their communities, we can then begin to demonstrate the heart of Christ. Uh, James Limler, he wrote this. He said, congregations that are, al- that are alive are congregations that can embrace change. So what he's saying is that the congregations that are alive, congregations that are growing, congregations that are making an impact in their community, they understand one thing, and that is that the world around them changes every day. You know, we are not a Groundhog Day people, if you ever saw that movie. We don't wake up every day going like, oh, it's just a repeat of yesterday. Because if we live in an environment where we don't accept change or where we embrace change or that we see change, then we become stuck and we become lost in a sense that we are no longer alive. So Lemler says that congregations that are alive are congregations that embrace change and they help people in the midst of those changes, in the changes of their lives, and they offer experiences of transformation. So because the world is changing, because your neighborhoods are changing, because your workplaces, your schools are changing, you see that change and you're offering an ability to connect with that with your fellow brother or sister. And that's the important thing that we see. You know, internally focused churches, they they concentrate on getting people in the door, and that's their main focus. How many people can we get in our pews this week? That's an internally focused church. An internally focused church, you'll see inspiring worship services. You'll hear great music. You'll hear good preaching. You'll be involved in small groups and those kind of things. But an internally focused church is more concerned about how do we get people into our building, how do we get them onto our campus, than it is about how are we going into our community to meet people where they are. That's the difference between an internally focused church or an internal way of looking at things versus externally. One of the great passions and powers of the Methodist movement, when the founder John Wesley began that movement was, he found that that he could not contain the spirit of what God was doing and building in the life of the people in, in England and even here in the Americas by solely keeping it in the walls of the church. Wesley found himself going into the community at great lengths into places of open air, preaching, and tens of thousands of people would gather to hear because Wesley was going where the people were, understanding the community and where they are. In many churches today, people are are starting to understand and and to accept what it means to, to come together in the value of worship. And worship no longer today is is just the preaching and teaching ministry. Worship is the context of from the moment I leave my car in the parking lot to the moment that I go back into my car at the end of that experience. Do I feel like I've met God somewhere along that way? And God isn't just in in the chair, but God is meeting you in the parking lot here in this place and going with you into the world after worship. And that is such a a, a thing for us to realize. So so music is playing a huge part today. You know, when we sang uh, this this hymn this morning, How Great Thou Art, we sang that at our early service as well. And I just love to see how people respond when we sing together. And not only when we're just singing the words and making sure we're at the right pitch, but we feel what we sing So worship is part of that impact that transforms and translates who we are as we move into that direction. In the years of the Babylonian exile, Isaiah, the great prophet, he was discovering that the people of God weren't really tying into or tuning into what the purpose of worship was anymore. They were discouraged They were disbanded, so to speak. They were nomads. They were wandering. And when they came together at a time of worship, they weren't really giving God their very best of opening their heart, of of, of praying and being mobile to what the Spirit would say. And Isaiah wrote these words in chapter 1. He said, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. They've become a burden to me. I'm I'm weary of bearing them. And when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I'm not going to listen. Stop doing wrong, the Lord said. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow so throughout this entire prophetic book Isaiah is reminding the people that that coming together in a spirit of worship is is more than just just coming together but it is ac- expecting God to be there And our goal of worship every Sunday here at St. Paul is that whatever you do during the week on Sundays or whatever, when you are engaged in a place and a time of worship, our hope is that you will feel like you have touched the regal robe of Christ, that you have felt his presence as he is with you at this very moment. So our mission at St. Paul is to engage our community. It's to engage our community not only with the proclamation of God's word, but also in a sense of of demonstrating our love of our community through the good works that are inspired to us because Christ lives in us. And as we engage in that, we know that our mission into our community will help make the community a better place in which to live. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to leave this series, and we're going to move into a new series, and the new series focus is going to be on on neighboring, and we're going to talk about what it means to actually be a neighbor to somebody, what it means to get out of the box, what it means to not cocoon when you go home and just stay in your four walls, what it actually means to get outside and to make friends and and to have a a transformative process with the life of someone else. You see, it's whenever we better understand our community and we get to know our neighbors that we understand that we are a part of leading people to seeing hope. And hope is the message of the proclamation of the gospel, is it not? And issuing that hope, we begin to help being part of finding solutions. And we term that as being salty servants. What is a salty servant? It means that when you put salt on something, what are you doing? You're enhancing the flavor of it. And whenever Jesus talks about this on the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, whichever gospel you might be reading of that, he's talking that we are to add flavor to our communities. We're to add flavor and and to be transformative in the life of someone else. We're to be a part of that that transfer or that, uh, that process of helping them to become something new. So what this means is, as we're moving forward, uh, focusing on some some key goals for the coming years, it means that we're going to look beyond just counting attendance on Sunday mornings and, and in our source groups and, and in our Sunday classes. It means that we're no longer just going to focus on numbers and noses and use that as a measurement of how healthy a church is. But what we want to do is we want to engage to find out how are we changing and, and making a difference in lives of people who are out there. And is that making a difference? So we'll be asking really powerful questions such as who li- whose lives are different because of this church? Here's another one. What tangible ways are we seeing God's work being done in our community versus inside the walls of the church? Here's a third one. How are people becoming more trusting in our message of hope because our actions actually display what we believe? So we're not just telling people, but we're showing them what it means to be a disciple and live that life. Of course, we have to ask the question, who's gonna be the recipient of all that energy? Who is the person that's gonna get that? And Jesus says this, and he, and he begins these words in, in the, the book of Acts where he says these words, that the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. He didn't just say that he was going to hold on to that. He didn't say it was just reserved to the 12 and the 72 of the, of the apostles and disciples. He said, the Holy Spirit is in you, the people of the church, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth that I'm sending you, you, the people out into the world to do those things. And the way that I interpret this sometimes gets me in a little bit trouble because people will say, well, pastor, does that mean you don't believe in international missions? That's not at all what I'm saying. I do believe in international missions, but I believe that the reason Jesus started with Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth is he's calling us to be neighborly to the people in our community first. Clearwater Largo is Jerusalem to us. And that's where we have to start. And once we are neighborly to uh, Largo and Clearwater, it's like a pebble dropping in the water. It begins to ripple. Then we go into the outlining parts of our community, our state, our nation, and into the world. And we begin to see this influx of the things of what God is doing. So how are we going to bring this kind of witness to our community? Last year we talked about how at the end of the year our church council approved two strategic initiatives that would define over the next five years what our focus is going to be as a local church. And I shared with you that, that a strategic initiative is not a goal. A goal is something that we might aspire to. It's, it's not like a resolution because like on New Year's Day we make all these resolutions and the second day of the new year we've blown them all. But a strategic initiative is something that is so big, so powerful, so out of our grasp that there's no way we could do it by ourselves. That God's footprint and God's success has to be in it. And that the only way we can accomplish it is with God partnering with us. And that's what these initiatives are. Here's the first one. We said that we want to reach out to 20,000 persons. Within a five mile radius of our church. And we not only want to reach out to them, we want to introduce Jesus to them so that they know him and they make him known. As I said at the earlier service, it's not like we just want to high five people. Hey, do you know who Jesus is? Okay, great. You don't? Well you need he loves you. Boom, there's one. Boom, here's two. That's not at all. It means that we're gonna enter into a relationship. We're going to get to know people. We're going to understand what's happening in their households. We're going to understand what's going on in work and in their schools. And we're going to be so involved in understanding in our community that that we're going to become the soul of our community. So whenever we look at this initiative, it means that we are outside of the walls of our church. And that God is moving us in those particular directions. Why are we doing that? Jesus commands it. When he said the words in matthew 28 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore to all of us go and make disciples of all nations disciples those who will not only follow but those who will give their life to the master that's what a disciple is go and make disciples of all the earth baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to do no to obey everything that i've commanded you so it's helping the community around us the people that we don't know the people who who may not even know the lord yet but to be outwardly focused to introduce and to help the name and the life the love and the transformation of the life of jesus christ to manifest itself in their lives Now you might be thinking like you did a couple months ago pastor reaching 20000 people that 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 there's no way we can do that folks with god all things are possible and with God, we can do the impossible. And that's the peace that we have to remember. So in addition to sharing the good news with over 20,000 people in the next five years, in addition to making relationships with them and helping steer them into, if it's not here at St. Paul, but to steer them into other churches or other ways of worship, whatever, whatever we need to do to get them where they need to be. In addition to that, we're reminded also of our second initiative, and that is at the very heart of Jesus himself. And we realize that the second initiative is so important for us, and that's to follow Jesus' lead, to follow, to follow his lead, to reach out to those experiencing poverty, and to strive to reverse its effects on our community. Now, some have asked me, well, Pastor, what's, what's poverty mean? Is that just the homeless? Is that what you're talking about? No. Jesus says there's spiritual poverty, There's relational poverty. Yes, there's economic poverty. But there's so much poverty, those kinds of conditions and structures that are constantly breaking the spirit and the will of God's people every day. We are commissioned to go and to understand what are the effects of that. It is not a calling to merely just give someone a a piece of bread or a a lunch or a backpack. That's part of it, but it's much greater than that. We want to partner with our municipalities. We want to partner with our local governments. We want to partner with with our uh, first responders. We want to partner with leaders in our community to find out what are the systems that are in place, what are the laws, the things that are causing this, this negative effect to happen in our community to where people are feeling distressed and overwhelmed and overcome and without hope. And that's the piece of understanding and to being a part of relieving what those systems are. You might ask, why in the world would we do that? Well, folks, there's over 400 passages in the Scripture that talk just about this. It says that that God's love and and concern is for orphans and widows, yes, prisoners, aliens, homeless, hungry, the sick, the disabled, all of these people, the ones that are disenfranchised, the ones that nobody ever remembers. God's heart breaks for the indiscretions that are constantly brought upon His people. The writer of Deuteronomy says that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien. He gives the alien food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, those that that are not like us, those who think different than us, those that aren't from our community. We're to love people. For we ourselves, we must remember that one day, as, as the writer was saying, that you were aliens as well in Egypt, that you were in a land that didn't accept you and wanted to make you a slave. So the questions that should keep us awake every night, the kinds of questions that should make us go like, man, I can't go to sleep because I'm constantly thinking about these kinds of things. Here they are. The first one is, who are the people in our community needing an extra dose of mercy? Who are the people out there that a good word would help encourage their day? Who are the people that are out there who are feeling so forgotten or so lonely today that coming alongside of them, that we can raise their spirit, we can put a smile on their face, and we can understand their plight? Here's the second question. Are there any hurting, broken people who long to be noticed and cared for? There are people in our community who don't want to be noticed. There are people in our community who don't want to be cared for, but there are more people who do. And that's what we're called to do we're called to care for those who who are in need the psalmist says this that God sets the lonely in families so the question in that is are you and I willing to be the family to someone we don't know are you and I willing to be um, community to those that don't have community are we willing to stand in the gap and make a difference and be a bridge and not a wall that helps people in their life. And it's when the church comes together. It's when the church understands the systems that are dividing their neighborhoods and communities. It's when the church understands what's broken, that we can have a voice. And I said this last week. We, the church, are called to be the voice of reason, we are called to be the voice of hope. We are called to be the voice of peace. We are called to be the voice bringing people back and restoring joy. And that is the mission of the life that we had. Jeremiah reminds us of this. He says, Also seek peace and prosperity of the city in which that I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And what this means is that we have to refrain from getting angry at people that are in need. We need to refrain from being put out because we're having to do something to help someone else, and we can't just build upon our own kingdom. What it means is that when we are a part of bringing prosperity to our community, that we as a church, that God's vision and God's plan, that God's love will prosper. And I don't mean that we'll prosper as in numbers. I mean that we'll prosper in that the heart of God will be given out freely, and people will see the difference. Isaiah looked at the people, and he said that things need to change in the life of God's church. And he said, and when the people who are called to be the church enact these kinds of changes— He writes these words out of chapter 40 you who bring good tidings to Zion go up on a high mountain you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem lift up your voice with a shout lift it up don't be afraid say to the towns of Judah here is your God see the sovereign Lord comes with power his arm rules for him see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him he tends his flock like a shepherd we're to be shepherds tending to the needs of God's sheep he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart and He gently leads those that have young So how are we going to do this? Well, your pastor can't do it alone and God doesn't God did not call me into the ministry to do these things on my own in fact Paul says that my role is to empower the Saints to do ministry Not that I'm to be the only one or Pastor Pan the only one.